Hi, and welcome to another edition of the Ampere Computing Podcast. My name is Mahesh Madhav, and we're here at Ampere Studios in Ampere Computing downtown Portland. We're overlooking the Fremont Bridge, and today we have the pleasure of having two of our logic designers here in the studio. First, we have Sean Merkus. He is the Vice President of Logic Development here at Ampere. Welcome, Sean. Thank you. And John Tran, who is a senior principal engineer in logic and microarchitecture. Welcome, John. Thank you. And we're going to have a conversation on engineering and careers, and you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes. But we're going to have John start us off with, with a few questions. So go ahead, John. I think the number one question on most people's minds, Sean, is how much money do you make? <laughs> that is an excellent, excellent question. Yeah. It turns out that it doesn't really matter to me. Oh, perfect. Okay. No, so more seriously, Sean, you've been in the business for almost 25 years in engineering. Yeah. yeah. How did you get started in engineering, and, where, and, and uh, what were the key turning points during that long career? Tell us about your origin story. Your origin story, yes. Sure. Yeah, I'll take a stab at it. Boy. Uh, so let's see. A little bit about me. I graduated from the University of Washington back in 1996, which sounds like a long time ago, and joined Intel right out of college in the CPU development team that was being built or did exist in Hillsboro, Oregon. Uh, moved down from Seattle and uh, started, you know, two weeks after I graduated, I think. Was super excited to learn about microprocessors. I was really excited about the opportunity to go and, you know, really learn and create something like that. You know, been a computer geek since I was small, right? So the team, the team I joined at the time was uh, starting on the Pentium 4. Tell us more about the little geeky things that you did when you were young. <laughs> the, the little geeky things that I did when I was young. My father always recounts the story of taking me to a class on computer programming uh, when I was eight at the local community college because that was the only place that had a course because he got me my first computer for Christmas that year, I think, right? He always remembers all the different adults trying to learn computers at that point and then me sitting there in the class and just basically laughing at me because I was always eager to answer the questions and jump in and people were staring at me. And of course, at eight, you're oblivious of anything, right? I'm certain I wasn't any good at it at that time, but you know that was just sort of like how I started in computers was all around that sort of experience. So in college, Sean, you you came out with a VLSI degree, right? Yeah, I did. And how did you get uh, the background in microarchitecture and, and logic? Uh, let's see. So in college, took. Um, there's a computer engineering program there. I was basically looking at what I knew going in. I wanted to do something with computers. I wasn't sure exactly what it was. So there was a, a combined degree at that time for computer engineering. So you learned sort of the computer science CS side and you learned sort of the electrical engineering side. And as I got into the initial courses, I fell in love with microarchitecture right away and just absolutely loved that, devoured it, wanted to know how everything worked. I loved the complexity. I love the algorithms. I love the elegance and being able to generate performance in a computer to keep going over time and just, you know, I could see where it would lead. And that was, that was fantastic. I was hooked. Once there was an interest in, in microarchitecture to you, it was clearly to work in that industry. I'm, I'm going to Intel. Is that how you ended up there? Yeah. I mean, at the time, you know, I interviewed with a few different companies. I interviewed with DEC, the DEC Alpha team back at the time, the Intel team, and then I'd done an internship somewhere else, and so I interviewed with them. But 
Intel was close by on the West Coast, which I really liked. The people I met at, during the interview process seemed great. I really enjoyed the interview itself uh, on the microarchitecture topics and, and kind of had a rapport with that. And so when they came back with an offer, I just told everybody else, no thanks, and took it. So, Sean, your first job on the Pinium 4 was doing circuit design, correct? It was. It ended up being a large amount of circuit design. So at the time in that project, we were doing a significant amount of aggressive circuitry. You're looking at high frequency. The, I guess we were in the megahertz wars at that time, but eventually got towards the gigahertz wars. Really, uh, the area that I was in uh, had complex circuitry that needed to be designed, and so I started to bury myself in that. I was still developing the uh, RTL for the for the design, but I did learn a ton about circuits in the first few years and ended up getting really interested in that too, because there's, like any kind of engineering topic, there's a lot to learn and a lot of interesting problems to solve. And at that point where I was, those were the problems that needed to be solved. So I, I dug in and started trying to master uh, the circuit design aspects of our, of our industry, our job. How do you define interesting problems as opposed to non-interesting ones? <laughs> I define an interesting problem as, uh, well, let's see, starting with something I don't know already. It's always nice to learn something new. And something where I can see value in sort of learning that angle of optimization. Because really, you know, I guess as I look throughout my career, I've built up a big bag of tricks and having a broad sense of when to play those and how to look at different optimizations in different situations, that by itself is interesting to me. So pushing you into a space where you're kind of in a performance zone, where you're, you're learning, you're creating, and kind of pushing the boundary? Yeah, absolutely. And if I go you know, a little further to- into, the, into my career, I spent a long time doing the circuits, maybe the first five or six years, and... I felt like I'd gotten some good experience there and I wanted to, to make a little bit of a change. I wanted to see what it was like to lead a team and to spend a little more time learning microarchitecture. And at the time, I sort of tried to pick the hardest place to go on the chip and do that, which had a ton of crazy fun circuit stuff and also a lot of interesting architecture. And so I spent time on both of those and then was learning how to lead teams and how to work with people and how to uh, you know, accomplish things through building a really high quality team that has sort of that same passion and same vision for how they want to do engineering. Very cool. Yeah, I guess what was the first transition point? What was the biggest change that you made in the first 10 years? The biggest change that I made in the first 10 years of my career was probably the switch from an individual contributor to a manager. And, and I also changed significantly the area of the chip that I was working in. So I didn't know the microarchitecture that I was about to go manage. And so that was like a double whammy of need for me to go learn at the same time. And I came into a team that had some senior people, had some junior people, turned out to be a fantastic set of individuals who I've known for a long time now. And we taught each other. Uh, about the microarchitecture as we grew and we took on the the frequency challenge of hitting you know some number of gigahertz at the right time in the market and really that forced us to push ourselves to be creative and to figure out how to achieve that after having that experience and knowing how much effort and energy can be poured into that when i got my opportunity to look at the next generation i went with something much simpler and made a whole different set of trade-offs and then from there, you transitioned again, right, this time into more 
bigger teams and bigger parts of the team. How did you make that transition and what did it require of you? Really, if I, if I think about every transition I made, I probably made maybe four big transitions while, while I was working throughout most of those years, the fifth being coming to Ampere, right? So the first four, first one was a switch from circuits to managing and learning new circuits. The second one was doing a second mic architecture nearly from scratch with bigger focus on mic architectural innovation instead of circuitry, wanted to drive simplification. And then uh, the next one was really about shifting my focus away from microarchitecture, actually even, to how does a large team design efficiently? And what are the tools that you can give engineers to help them? And how do you get engineers to really perform and be really efficient while they're at work? And how do you optimize the whole process of designing something like a microprocessor? So that was another one of these interesting problems to me, right? It's not immediately clear and there's no textbook on how to take a 500 person organization of engineers and make them productive and happy at work and doing interesting things and continuing to improve themselves. So I spent quite a bit of time in that domain and really focused on learning how to optimize the process of design and explored what tools are available in that domain. You know, there's um, many tools in terms of software and CAD tools that support people in design, but there's also how do you go about making decisions? How do you go about choosing what you want to build and what you don't want to build? How do you go about deciding what's worth investing in in the short term or the long term? And those were all really interesting questions that I think have helped me where I ended up today, right, of, of having to make those trade-offs here and, and sort of chart the course for Ampere in terms of logic development. A lot of times deciding what to build and what not to build is driven by business decisions or the business market. And did you have much exposure to that or did you, what was your interaction between engineering and monetization? I would say there's a couple different points in my career where I've been exposed more or less to each of those. So in the, in the domain of thinking about optimizing the design process, right, that was a lot more about how we work, not what we build. Previous to that, it was more about what we're building and the targets. And then actually the fourth transition was sort of going back to my roots, if you will, and, and going back and looking at doing advanced development for uh, future CPU. Uh, and so there, it was almost entirely focused on what we're going to build. And at that time, there were a significant number of interesting questions about, you know, looking that far forward, what does the market need? What can we provide in that space? and how to even prioritize those. You're looking at research, you're talking to customers, you're trying to figure out what customers will pay for, which is versus what customers expect and what the market, where the market and competition is going. So I had a good opportunity in my later time at Intel to sort of get exposure to those topics. And that was another fascinating problem to, uh, to dig, dig, dig into. Yeah, which, which one is your favorite? Which one do you like more? Oh man, which one do I like more? Um, in the end, part of the reason I decided to start looking around and why I started to look at Ampere was because I sort of recognized in myself after you know 20 years, I got a good sense of what really truly made me happy and what I enjoyed getting up every day to do. And I had a good picture of what kind of team I wanted to be in, what kind of leadership I wanted to see. Having those elements 
can really allow an engineer to thrive and grow and learn and just have a fantastic time doing something that very few people uh, get an opportunity to do or have a chance to do. And that was fantastic. And for, for me, it ended up coming back to the logic development aspect and being involved with the, the, the what we build and going about and defining that. I wanted to get back, frankly, to coding RTL again. I wanted to get back to doing real design. And that's been yeah, one of the passions I've had since I've joined Ampere. That's really given me a lot of uh, satisfaction and, and kind of grounded me in all of those things. And it's been fantastic. Yeah, why don't we get into your Ampere origin? So I've been here maybe, let's see, about a year and a half now. Been at Ampere a year and a half. Started talking to, as I started thinking about what do I want to do next, obviously I, uh, I consulted some of the people that I had a lot of respect for that had been sort of, you know, formal or informal mentors, doesn't matter, right? People I respected and sort of got feedback from them on things I was thinking about and, and what I was considering. And that was really an important piece of how I came to a decision was just to get perspective. I think, you know, having been in one place for more than 20 years, you start to think that's going to be there all the time. And it sort of is this default answer. And I started to recognize that the next growth path for me, the next opportunity for me, the next interesting problem for me was going to be outside uh, of, uh, of Intel and, and out in the industry. You know, I really wanted to explore what, what the rest of the industry did, how they approach things, compare and contrast, and sort of understand how design was different other places. And frankly, there were there was a great story from Rohit and Atik and Renee on you know what was going on here, and that was the beginning uh, of the journey. Right, was just sort of recognizing that the next step for me would be elsewhere, and getting some confidence in that being the right uh, direction. So after that, I wrote my first resume in 20 years, <laughs> which was uh, which was amazing. Uh, that was a fun a fun task. I guess things haven't changed too much, but you know, I certainly didn't have one stored from '96. So I you know I started from scratch and kind of put that together, and that was actually a really interesting experience as well. Just the fact that I had to write down what I thought mattered throughout 20 years on you know two pages. And in each section, I sort of came to recognize what was truly important to me about a given time or what upon reflection was like, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. It was good. I learned from it, but that's not where my passion is. I wanted to, to go somewhere else. And frankly, there were places where it's like, wow, this part seems harder to really explain what I learned as an engineer. And that that I kind of bothered me might be the right word, but... I recognized that the continuous improvement part of being an engineer is critically important. Whether you're in a, one company or you go to 700, right? doesn't matter. But I think engineering is, requires learning, requires being adaptive, that lifelong sense of I want to learn new things and know how to solve new problems like really came to the fore in my mind as I'm writing this resume. And so when I sat down to talk with folks here at Ampere, I felt like I was pretty clear on what I could do, what I could bring, what I wanted to do, and what I wanted to learn, and especially about the people that I wanted to work with, right? I also recognized as I went through that exercise which time periods and which teams felt 
the best. It's kind of a lame description, but I ended up recognizing that the people that you work with, or at least for me, the people that I work with is, you know, really at the top of the list. And, and that was enlightening as well, right? A lot of self-reflection during that time, clearly. But yeah. So actually, a lot of the boxes I know that you checked off to say, is Ampere right for me? It's actually aligned with your career inflection points. I just made that realization that what we are building, how did Ampere check off that box? You know, from a how engineers work, how did Ampere check that box off? And then from a managerial and leadership box, how did Ampere check that one? A lot of times changing something is really difficult and then building something is easier. And you have a lot of experience in those inflection points that gave you a big clue into what's important, how is this going to be successful? In terms of Ampere checking off the boxes as I looked at it, um, based on my experience and what I was looking to do, I would say that when I look at what Ampere was looking to build and what we are now building, right? I was very excited about being part of the seed team that could go and generate something fantastic and different and new. That really appealed to my sense of taking on hard problems that don't have obvious solutions, right? It appealed to my sense of being able to build my own team and help to establish the culture of the team that I wanted to work with because that was so important to me. I was looking forward to the opportunity to find talented people who wanted to challenge themselves and I wanted to surround myself with those kind of people who I could learn from and who could learn from me and who we lift each other up in, in terms of doing design. The leadership team here is phenomenal, right? And, and combined with the small team aspect, which I hadn't personally experienced, it really just aligned very well with what, uh, how I thought you needed to be successful in doing design. And there's no time where I can't go walk into Renee's office and ask a question and get feedback and make a decision and go sit back down. And it takes, you know, it's this informal conversation. It's it's completely different way of, of thinking and, and moving forward. And that part of what Ampere is was very appealing to me. I have a ton of respect for the people that started this company. I was humbled by the fact that they were interested in me joining them on this journey. And I was really looking to pay all of the good things that all mentors have done for me forward into the next generation of engineers. And I thought that Ampere was a great place for people to join and experience that. I think it's amazing that you can go into Renee's office, chat with her, then go back to your office and you're debugging Verilog. And now you, you know, a few minutes later, you come into Ampere Studios and we're doing a podcast. Yeah. In one company. Yeah. That is another thing that I sort of knew coming in that small companies required and needed people who could be like jack of all trades and move around and do things. And that appealed to my sense of just learning more about the business, learning more about the industry, learning more about design. And so, yeah, at times it's, it's still even a year and a half in shocking to me, like the changes that will happen in a day and the exposure that I'll get. I'm convinced I've learned more in a year and a half than I would have learned in five before. I mean, it just the opportunity to learn and the rate at which you absorb information when you're in an environment like we have at Ampere is is second to none. Yeah. So it seems like you've had a wonderful time in your last year at Ampere. How about you, John? You want to talk about some of your exciting 
stories and happenings over the last year? I think I've I've found uh, I've found work happiness. I, I know what it means. It's it's it took me a long time to realize it, but it's not money. It's it's really surrounding myself with really good people that we enjoy, and I've really found joy in. And I asked Sean this question, and it's hard. It sounds harsh, but sometimes changing something is a lot harder than just building something. And building it in a way that you've learned from mistakes, <laughs> but also from positive experience in the many, many years of experience and uh, people and the different fires and experiences that they went through in their individual uh, career path and just being able to start fresh and just know that we should avoid this. And I've been happy that I get to do my part in building the, the culture of, the, of this team. And also, you know, I just, I just love problem solving and that's just, that's just what, what makes me happy. It's, it's also great when you could trust your teammates and this process of engineering delegation, someone says that they're going to do something and then they do it. It's such a simple thing. But when you have that, it's a joy to actually be part of that team, to know that you're, you're part of the you know, Lego building block is going to go in on top of the other person's and it's going to fit. Uh-huh. Yeah. There was the, one of the inflection points that he went through, which is, you know, how are we going to work? It, it, it was a fairly big argument before, and there's a tremendous amount of things that just happen at Ampere because changing something can be very difficult, but building something can be very easy and a much easier path. And a whole point of how do we build a CPU? How do we build it? A, a big inflection point for Sean. It just was naturally done correctly at uh, Ampere in the philosophy that Sean had realized towards the end of his career. Yeah, so talk more about... (laughs) Talk less about me. Yeah, talk less about me. Talk more about how the the key metrics that you looked for just, just gave you confidence, and now that you've been here for a year and a half, how have they played out? So certainly one of the driving forces in my uh, initial thinking to explore uh, opportunities at Ampere was just the realization that I wanted to do engineering, I wanted to do solve problems, I wanted to spend time building cool things for the world, and the amount of time I spent innovating was drastically reduced compared to the amount of time I spent talking or convincing or requesting help or asking for approval and I spent far too much of my day on those types of topics uh, to really be happy. Some people thrive in that environment and it's a great environment. Um, for me, you know, I'd go home at the end of the day and that wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to say, yeah, hey, honey, I had a great day, right? I would have to say, I didn't really make that much progress today. So that was actually, you know, if you talk about what was a metric? Uh, how did I know that I made the right decision? Was when I went home after a couple months at Ampere, and my wife just said, "You're happier." It was that simple, right? Validated everything that I'd done. Although I personally didn't have any doubts, but like as a family, making a decision to change a job is something that you know. Of course, you're going to talk with your partner, and you're you're going to think about all of the different things with respect to your family, and and that just like cemented it. And you know, she could see the visible difference in me. And then I started thinking, man, I want 
all my friends to feel that way. I want everybody who works here to feel that way, right? That's the way we should feel. Why are we sacrificing that objective? It's not that it's not attainable. It just isn't attainable everywhere given, you know, the situation that you might be in. So coming here, I'd learned a lot about the way I thought design should be approached and had gone down paths that didn't work and had learned uh, paths that do work. And Ampere started with its acquisition of Applied Micro. And so there was a team and uh, IP and a design system and, uh, you know, all of this. And as I sat down to sort of understand what was being done here and how things were being approached, I was really happy to see that there was a great alignment with the way that I had sort of realized throughout my career made sense in terms of doing design. And I also was very impressed with the openness of the team to listen to my experiences and to make, you know, targeted changes. I think there's a lot to say for if you have respect for people who have been in the industry a long time or even who, frankly, who haven't, right, that have generated opinions, you want to seek to understand before you start proposing a bunch of changes. And that was a big philosophy that I tried to drive into the early thinking and the team formation. And the great part was when we found something we wanted to change, two of us sat down. We said, should we change this for the whole company? The answer was, yeah. We said, okay, go do it. We left the meeting. And that was like such a refreshing experience. Uh, and then, you know, that's, that's happening time and again. Even as we grow, that sort of small company empowered engineers making decisions is, is sort of now built into the culture of the team. And that's what we continue to build upon. Empowerment is a really cool word. Right. It, it it has that that quality of you you've been delegated this task and if you don't do it nobody else in the company is going to do it for you and because we're small and agile it's on your plate you can't give it to someone else right, right? <laughs> yeah and you know I totally agree with that right and, and you know there's a lot of people that talk uh, that study and the science of motivation and, and leadership and things and one that I read you know recently again, was just that a lot of engineers crave the ability to master a topic, to have autonomy to operate, and to be building with a purpose, right? And when I came here, those things in the small company were just crystal clear for me, right? I had a chance to go learn a bunch of new things. I set personal goals on, you know, what kind of scope I wanted to take on and what I wanted to learn. The autonomy part, as you said, like you're in a small company, there's not 900 people watching over you. There's not 900 people in the company. So you have to go do it, get it done, talk to the right people to get it done and make the decisions and move on. And as for the purpose part, I've for me, I always like doing trying to take on tasks that look really tough and challenging. But also, this industry is ready for a change. It's ready for an inflection point. It's ready for something new. It's ready for what's next. And Ampere is clearly positioned to do that and that we're off doing that now. And it's, it's, uh, it's been fantastic, right? That, that, that part of it for me has been, yeah, I've just really enjoyed being able to come in every day and sort of recognize that what we're doing can really shift things uh, on a global scale. And that's, yeah, that just ends up being fun for me. Speaking of being in the global marketplace, we're also in the marketplace of engineering resources. And there's a there's a choice in the way that we do design tools and methodology. And by choosing industry standard tools, we kind of open up the, the marketplace for engineers to be a little bit more fluid. Can you talk about that a little bit? 
the question of how you approach a design and using industry standard tools opens up the opportunity for more people to contribute. Really what I think is an interesting point here is to sort of understand that engineering skills that are transferable, right, are important for anybody to build. And if everything you know is tied up in something that is in a walled garden and, and, and isolated, right, it's not like the engineering or the physics is different. But the fact of the matter is how you think about design, how you approach design, how you go in and do design day by day is significantly influenced by the tools that you have, right? If you have a hammer, use a hammer. If you don't have a hammer, better figure out something else. And it's not that you can't build a CPU or a a server product different ways. And so the nice thing is, is as we look to the talent pool in the industry, many people have experience with the same toolbox that we have here, and so they're able to get up to speed very quickly and be useful and contribute at a much faster pace than if we have to take someone who's been in the industry 20 years and completely retrain their toolbox. The tools really are the same. It's just when you come from a company that has a lot of internally developed tools, the it, goes, it really does go back to they are all the same. The only difference is where they were invented. And so it easily turns into not capability, but it comes into the politics of, <laughs> of maintaining a job or keeping a, a tool because that's what they're used to. And so the industry standard part of it is of getting past spending energy on something that, that doesn't add any value because they are really all the same. Yeah. The other, yeah at, at any, at anywhere you're going to need a place and route tool, you're going to need uh, compilers, you're going to need to do some simulators. All of those things have to exist. And it's not that you can't innovate on the toolbox you know, at Ampere or in the industry. You just do it differently, right? Coming back to the small company part, right? I talk with more EDA vendors directly, their engineering teams, than, than I did before. And they want to know what matters, and they want to help you achieve that. And you can sit down and work on enhancements with, with them just as easily as anywhere in the world, right? The nice thing is the bar they have is, hey, this needs to be applicable to the generic set of, you know, design, right? We're not, you know, they're not in the business of hyper-specializing something. So when you come up with your ideas, having them be open, having them be globally applicable is really just a great mindset to approach with. And, and if you have one of those, there's no doubt they'll develop it. Yeah, and there's also a customer relationship, right? You are the customer. You can always go somewhere else. And that that isn't always true. And um, having that customer relationship and having them treat you as a customer who can go to the, the co- a competitor solves a whole host of problems. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. So, Sean, you were talking about returning to engineering. I know, you know, watching you specifically, there's a very high percentage of your time focused on individual contribution. Uh, you've been coding like a, a madman. And all the people who work for you also spend a significant amount of the time, 75% or so, on individual contribution and in engineering. Why is that important to you that you don't have just pure managers? Why is it that everybody who works for you does some sort of engineering work for a majority of their time here at Ampere? When I set out to build the logic development team, 
one of the things that was critically important to me was that I got back to engineering myself and spent more time doing design. The reason for that is really twofold. I wanted to do it because I enjoy it. I wanted to do it because I like to create things. But also, I wanted to be grounded. I don't like leading without being fully grounded in what the work looks like. That, that to me, is an important part of leadership. I think it's something we have at Ampere hands down. I mean, there are no, forget the logic development team for a second, there are very few, if you know, manager-only type people that aren't doing technical work and that aren't fully grounded in making technical decisions. I think it helps your team. It sets the culture for what kind of expectations people should have. It helps you really understand when somebody has a problem or a schedule or a question or whatever it is that you need to work through, whatever problem that you can actually help them. And so, yes, for every manager that I've hired into the logic development team, they all are required, if you will, to, to do design work. They came here and they were interested in doing that. So it's it's not like a, you know we had to force anybody, but it again sets the culture just saying that this team is about doing work and innovating and driving change and producing results and working together as a technical team to achieve things that you, you know, normally wouldn't think are possible. All along the line, at every level, having somebody to look up to and somebody to learn from, not just from a personal standpoint, but from a technical standpoint. And the most obvious person is always the manager. And so establishing a work culture where everybody is motivated and everybody understands how valuable engineering can be and how rewarding it can be starts with everybody role modeling all the way up. So anyway, John, that's my thought about how I chose to set a culture early on about about having engineering be a large part of all of the jobs, including all of the managers. But really, I think you know, my desire in doing that is that the people that are working with me and for me see the benefit of that every day in their work. So I think the question back to you would be, you know, why is it important to you? I, I think you you have to, everybody along the line has to role model engineering. I, I think it's too easy to have parts of the team just lose passion and lose focus and lose direction or even purpose if not everybody along the line is exuding passion for engineering. So it's important that people are motivated and they they work hard while they're here and they do that by being inspired by everybody around them just wanting to be here and being excited about the problems that we're solving. So, Sean, a while back... <laughs> yeah, Sean, a while back, you talked about how you... One of the first days you came back and your, your wife, your, your spouse said, you're happier. Talk about how important it is for you to gauge your progress, your happiness with peers, mentors, or family, friends, that kind of thing. This is a really interesting question because a lot of times you, you can't observe yourself, right? You, you can't measure the system when you're in the system. And you need people outside the system to measure it for you i remember within a couple weeks you can ask every every month that i've been here and you can ask my wife if i'm happier and she'll say yes and the maybe too personal thing is my psoriasis is getting a lot better than a year and a half ago just induced by stress induced by i think unhappiness 
it's all gone. It's going away. And I'm, I'm at the point where I, I'm, I'm thinking this thing is cured, which I'm very happy about. So it's, tell us. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how we're all kind of like physically healthier right now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, it is. It is. Uh, you've, you've relied a couple times in your career on not just your spouse and your family and your friends, but peers, technical peers and, and mentors to help encourage you, gauge where you are, and in many ways, them being a better judge about you than you being you, right? They know you better than you know you. So give us some examples of, say, the last year and a half and their feedback for you and how important it has been to you. Sure. I think um, self-reflection is hard for a variety of reasons, right? And and you, you don't always, at least my perspective now, having made a change and looking back, I can see that I sort of suffered from the, uh, the, the pot slowly boiling, right? Where the temperature is changing slowly enough that you don't really notice, but like all of a sudden things are kind of uncomfortable, but you're kind of used to it, right? And you can, you can get stuck in a rut uh, through no fault of your own just because life takes the time it takes and there's only so much time to sit around and ponder deep thoughts, right? But the thing that really helped me sort of get out of that was I ran into a a colleague who I had a lot of respect for in the, in the parking lot one day after some large presentations. And I hadn't seen him for a while and was just like, what are you up to? Oh, I'm up to this. Uh, okay, I'm doing this. And, and, you know, the net of that conversation was, why are you doing that? That's not what you like to do. And that was sort of shocking to have somebody say that that directly, which was good just to say like, yeah, okay, fine, you're doing it. But I know that's not where your passion is. And man, that, that made me think, right? And so after that, I talked to two people who I considered, you know, uh, what would the word be? Uh, I considered them leader. I mean, they were, they were stellar leaders in their own right. They were stellar technical people in their own right. They were just good people and good friends who I'd had the opportunity to work with off and on during my career. And I sort of stepped out of you know, if you will, the bubble I was in and went and chatted with them and asked them some questions, you know, said, I ran into this person and this is what they said. What do you think? And they're like, yeah, it makes sense. So I'm like, wow, two, two for two, three for three. Right. Uh, and the nice thing about their feedback was it kind of addressed some maybe doubts I even had in my own head uh, about what type of change I should make or was was willing to make or even that I would consider. I think sometimes you don't get somewhere because you don't even consider a possibility, right? And so that opened up my mind to thinking about things. And then because they're great friends and, and had seen me work uh, and are nice people, they they had nice things to say, most of which were likely true, hopefully. But they, they helped me sort of understand, yeah, I could go do this. Like, why? I'm not a person that is going to be sitting here unhappy. And suddenly the whole equation flipped for me, right, in, 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 a, in a small amount of time. And, and I just have, I have a lot to uh, thank them for. So over the last year and a half, I've touched base with them a couple times and just said thank you again for having that conversation with me. You know, I don't know that they'll ever really understand the positive impact it had, but, you know, that was, that was a pretty great thing that they did. I think a lot of us have this experience of when you see someone you haven't seen for a long time and then there's that one sentence that they they say and it has so much value and significance 
mainly because they know who you are, maybe more than you know yourself, right? And I've definitely been in that position before. Someone says something, I latch onto it, and it completely changes my life. Yeah. And it goes into this completely different direction. And I see them seven years later, and I said, you know what you said that one day? Well, look at what happened because of that. Uh-huh. And so I, it's really cool to yeah, see, hear you see that. Yeah, and uh, you know, like I, I've had the opportunity to to be able to give that kind of feedback to a couple of people who had reached out at various times, and and I hope it helped even a tenth of what those kind of things helped me. But you also recognize once it's happened once or twice in your life that you can actually go seek it out. I feel like I stumbled into seeking out because I ran into this person, right? But you can purposely say, "I'm going to step out of the bubble. I'm going to go ask some people." What do they think about what I'm doing right now? What does it does it match what I am? Do they think I'm happy? Do they have suggestions for me? And again, sometimes we get too busy for that kind of thing, but it can be transformational. Yeah, uh, and, and it takes no time, right? I've had people come up to me like seven years later, and they said, "Oh, you said this one thing to me. I've met this person for like half an hour seven years ago, and they're like, you changed my life." And I'm like, "Wow, I, I'm sorry." <laughs> 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 but people have that impact. And words matter, and I think it's great to acknowledge that. Cool. Yeah, I was just thinking. Um, I remember when I came in to interview at Ampere, and I had never met Autech ever, except one day, he was walking out, and he had announced his retirement, and I said, "Congratulations, Autech, on your retirement." And he said, "Thank you." And I remember when I first interviewed, the office was like six people. But he had, I mean, just the kind of person he is, he had said, well, John's coming in to interview. I'm going to remember his name. And then when I came in, he said, welcome, John. That was really, I thought that was really, really, really nice. Anyway, that was a, that, that was something that reminded me, just the fact that he spent um, time to remember my name. <laughs> and now he gives me crap, but. Uh, yeah. Um, he knows you deserve it now, though. Yeah, so that's, that's important. That's true. That's true. <laughs> the crap or the recognition? You know, some of some of some both are probably fair to be honest, right? I think John would acknowledge that. Yeah. So we were originally talking, Sean, about how when we started talking about smaller teams and mentors, how important it is for you uh, to hire people who are uh, adaptable, who can change the way that they engineer in in reaction to changes in the market. Um, what kinds of talents you're looking for? I guess, what kinds of people you're looking for? Sure, yeah. Our, I mean, our team is our team is actually built from a wide variety of places. We have people that have joined from Qualcomm. We have people that have joined from AMD. We have people joined from Intel. We have people who have been only in startups their entire career, right? And so there's been this kind of fantastic mix of opinions and of thought and of backgrounds that I think has built the team up, but the important thing in that is no one has come in to the conversation, nor do we sort of allow the conversation to go into, well, this is the way I've done it, so this is the way we're going to do it, right? I think the the fact that we can have conversations about what should we do based on our shared experience with nobody coming in with a huge uh, huge ego, uh, big problems, uh, stubbornness, right? The, the, the attitude that people come into Ampere with is equally as important as the technical skill, right? If you're going to come into a small team, you've got to know that you're going to be doing different things. You've got to be ready to pick up whatever things aren't covered at any given day or, uh, you know, if there's something that needs to be done. 
And you really, frankly, a small company is a good place to reinvent yourself, right? Oftentimes, you're, you know, we talked earlier about being in a bubble, right? That bubble could have been, I've been doing the same thing for whatever number of years, and you, you don't ever recognize that, hey, I could go do something different, and actually that would be appealing. So we're looking for people with experience in, in developing these kind of products, but, but also we're looking for just talented engineers with a willingness to force themselves into uncomfortable situations, to learn new things, to stretch themselves, to, you know, debate topics in, in a very like healthy way and to move forward as a team and really kind of put the team first and the objective first. When you're in a small company, there's pretty clearly one objective, right, is to keep having that company, <laughs> right? You've got to have a product plan. You've got to be able to go and make revenue. You've got to be able to grow. Those things are like critically important and having everybody aligned to being those are my goals. Those are your goals. Those are our goals, right? That requires a, a different mindset. And if somebody wants to jump in and say, I've been dying to try this for a while. Here are the skills I have. How can you use them? Here's where I want to go. How can you help me? You know, I've certainly had that conversation multiple times with people. And it's, it's again, one of those things that brings joy to someone else and helps give an opportunity to someone that's like personally rewarding for me. But I see them be super motivated and eager and excited and self-driven. And those are all the kind of behaviors that make a world-class team. And that's, you know, we've built one of those, I think, uh, in the last year and a half. Yeah, and I think a lot of people in, in logic design didn't necessarily, for those engineers who are thinking of Ampere, a lot of the folks who were here weren't necessarily in the exact position or had experience in the exact position that they're in. I remember doing the math a while back, and it was like 40% of uh, logic people were not doing that exact thing in a, in a previous life. So, uh, you know, congrats, Sean, for putting your, you know, money where your mouth is, right? But I guess what do you see, what have you, what are you looking for and what have you seen and how do you identify the right person who's up for the challenge, kind of recognize, it, recognize that they can be taught and can, can excel? We had hundreds of interns apply for our internship program. And I ended up taking the one person who didn't have a GPA on the resume and another person who was homeschooled. And these two people are doing really well. And it's the attitude that they brought into the interview and to the team here of wanting to learn and wanting to grow with the team. And they also have imposter syndrome, as we all have imposter syndrome here. When you surround yourself with great people, do you lift yourself up to be great like them? Or do you say, I can't do it? And it's a matter of that glass is half full versus glass is half empty. And to me, that attitude means more than all the things that you've done on your resume. If you don't have that, then it doesn't matter if you've built 25 microprocessors. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, Sean, uh -huh. what do you think about the Ampere execs now that, having, now that you've worked with them for a year now? Every time I get to interact with the leadership team here, Anyone? You, you are part of the leadership team, by the way. Yeah, fine. Okay. I talk to myself sometimes. Is that a problem? <laughs> no. You know, every time I've been able to interact with leadership here, I've been impressed and I've learned. 
the people at Ampere are are world class. They have I mean the, there's so much knowledge about this industry, about this business, about what a healthy team looks like that I'm constantly astounded and impressed with the way decisions are handled, the way problems are tackled, the exposure I get to sales, marketing, customers, software, firmware, board design, doesn't matter. Things that I just didn't have the breadth of before, I do now. And everyone's been welcoming, everyone's been willing to teach and share, and the same goes the other direction, right? They might not have the experience and background in what I'm doing or what somebody else is doing, what Autic is doing or Rohit is doing. So everybody is in that mode of relying on each other and trusting each other and lifting each other up. And in every domain, I see great decisions being made that are discussed and shared and being rolled out to the entire company in a very transparent way, uh, which is another fundamental thing that I love about Ampere is just the leadership is so much more in touch with every single employee, which with a small company is obviously easier in one degree, but it's it has to be purposeful. And, you know, Renee speaks to the entire company uh, through email, through conversations in, in forums, and this really helps people connect with the why. Why are you asking for this? Why are we doing this? How can I help? Why is it important? Why should I care? Whatever is on anybody's mind about a problem, I'm worried about this, I'm concerned about this problem. All of that information flows in a way that every person can help steer the direction of Ampere. Every person can have an impact on the roadmap. Every person can add an idea to a part with you know, an hour-long conversation in a, in, a, in, a, in a hallway or over lunch. And so that is something that I treasure here, frankly. I know that Renee, Atik, and Rohit came out of retirement to to lead Ampere. You... So I wasn't retired? Is that your point? No. I must have done something wrong? No. Oh, are you sure? No. You You came here to build something and do it differently and do it in your image. So for folks who are looking to work for this leadership team, why is the motivation, that motivation important to them? How do we know that we're going to build a culture that is going to last? And the answer that I kept trying to repeat that Atik did say, but people just didn't hear was, you know that our culture is going to go forward and go in the right direction because you don't have three senior executives and the CEO come out of retirement to build something that that is because of money or whatever. They're not motivated by that. They were motivated by leaving a legacy that is more longer lasting and that they, they, they don't need money. <laughs> they came here to leave a legacy in semiconductors that is more honestly more has more integrity you came here to build a team and to do something that and and we're motivated by just passion for engineering and not any of the other stuff and that motivation and integrity i've known you for a long time so that's not a question but like for people who don't know that should be an indication too right yeah i i two parts one is I certainly am looking forward and enjoy watching a team grow and watch people 
build up their skills and take on more leadership. And, you know, I'm interested in investing in the next generation of people here at Ampere, right? That is fundamentally a part of our culture is is doing that that work, if you will, but it's not really work. It's, again, just kind of fun work to do. And then the second part, which is that when I was considering Ampere, I was looking at the leadership team who was all coming out of retirement and trying, you know, and asking myself why, what do they, you know, what do they want to achieve? And I've, I've worked, I worked with Atik and Rohit for a number of years. I hadn't worked directly with Renee, but you get the sense that the purpose was to build something new, not only in terms of the product and the microprocessor and the server chip and all that, but in terms of a different way to build semiconductors and a different attitude in semiconductors. And so I started doing all my research on Ampere and on ARM and all the different things to help me make my decision on a technical basis of why I should come here. And at the end, I sort of just stepped back and recognized, look, if these three people believe in it, what am I going to figure out in the next week that's going to help me that they already don't know, right? And so the fact that I have a significant amount of respect and trust for all three of them made that part of the decision-making pretty easy. And I think that at least, you know, I was willing to bet my next job on it because I have faith that, you know, they have done this work, they understand it, they want to build a team and a culture that is lasting, and I wanted to be part of it. It sounds like you've recognized that the people matter. Engineering you could solve. Right. Yes. Uh, the people matter. In fact, the people at, at this point for me, as I, I may have said earlier, but I'll, I'll say it again, every day you work with the same people and you want them to be people that you love coming to work with, that support you, that, that are aligned and want to achieve. And that makes a huge difference, right? So it was one of the defining factors in my final decision. There are a thousand things you could put on the list that you want to talk about. Oh, like my commute, I was worried it was getting a little bit longer. It turns out it didn't, but that's a different story. But uh, at the end of the day, right, you, you have to get it down to the top three, right? I was telling John uh, when I first joined, like, oh, yeah, I did the engineering thing. I made a spreadsheet. I prioritized it. I listed out all the things. I ranked them. I weighted them. And at the end of the day, I mean, it was a good thought process, but I recognized that it didn't mostly matter, that the top one or two was what mattered, and I was already on board before I started the spreadsheet with those. So, yeah, easy decision. (laughs) At this point in time, you've been in the industry 23 years. There's a a very specific inflection point right now. Why is Ampere set up in a very special way at this moment in time? The ARM ecosystem and the instruction set have been going for a decade or more easily, certainly with a start and embedded in other places. Right now is unique because all of the things to build a successful server product are reaching maturity. So the instruction set has grown up, the architecture feature set has grown up, the software base has advanced significantly in the last five years. You have process technology equalization across the industry in a way that hasn't been seen in 30 years. All of these things are happening at the same time and sort of represent an inflection point for this business and for this industry. And, you know, I view it as sort of a, at least in in, in my career, it'll be a once in a career type of opportunity with respect to the timing of those things, which add wind at your back 
Mm-hmm. They don't guarantee success, but they add win at your back. And then couple that with amazing leadership team and a set of engineers who are just all in it to achieve and to build. And I think it's a great recipe for success. Great. Thanks to Sean Marcus. He's joining us here today in Ampere Studios along with John Tran. We've had a great discussion about the philosophy of engineering and the culture that we have here at Ampere. I hope that we continue to have many more of these discussions here. That sounds like a lot of fun. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thank you. you.